0: Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. In today's episode, we're taking a look back at some of the fascinating conversations we've had with support leaders and influencers over the past year. Across that year of rapid change, we heard from the support community about the key themes that they felt would define the future of CS. The importance of proactive support, how automation can assist with support at scale, and of course, we launched our own conversational support funnel framework. In this episode, you'll hear from Nate Brown, Chief Experience Officer at Officium Labs and the co-founder of CX Accelerator, Gainsight CEO Nick Meta, Pam Doddrell, Vice President of Customer Support and Success at Zapier, Luke Diaz, Vice President of Customer Success at Clearbit, HubSpot CEO and co-founder Brian Halligan, and of course loads of Intercom's own support leaders. There's plenty to unpack in terms of taking the learnings of 2020 into the years ahead. So where to start? Well, who better to kick off with than Nate Brown? Nate has over a decade's experience helping business leaders and employees create powerful end-to-end customer journeys. He joined me back in October to share his thoughts on how CX has become a true competitive differentiator.
1: Yeah, the Dell CIO, CIO Jerry had the, the, the quote um, that CX is the next competitive differentiator. I think he said that like five years ago. I don't, I don't think he had any idea how correct he would be. <laughs> and, and one of the, the symptoms of this, one of the, the illuminating factors is, is the incredible rise of the customer success function and terminology. Sure. So, I mean, if we think about the way we used to do sales, it was all about acquisition. Let's go out and get ourselves more customers. Let's say whatever we have to say on our website to make people think that we can do this certain thing and then let's go get them. And now, I mean, customers are burned out on false promises that we put out on our websites from the early 2000s. <laughs> so the, the entire mentality towards sales and marketing had to change towards authenticity. And, and Denise Leone is the most brilliant author on this topic in her book, Fusion talking about how authenticity of experience and authenticity of culture is what powers the world's best organizations from a sales standpoint and everything else in terms of we promised this thing, we set this expectation with our customer and we were able to deliver on it because our CX design was here and our culture supported it. So consistently, we can deliver on these promises that we make. That's the type of brands that are gobbling up market share. That's how CX becomes a competitive differentiator because those organizations that have been out here before making claims that they couldn't support through great CX design, their customers have alternatives now and they are leaving those organizations to find a company that they can trust to deliver a good, consistent experience.
0: And speaking then, I guess, about that consistency of experience, like coming into 2020, I think a lot of uh, CX professionals would have considered AI was going to be the big game changer for the, the next year or the next decade. Sure. Um, obviously the events of the last um, many months have really accelerated that. What do you think that this technological advancement means for the future and why is it important for
1: companies to maybe be investing in that now? One of the greatest things that AI and machine learning has brought us in the work of customer experience is a dramatically enhanced voice of customer capability. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we can take all these customer transactions that, that, we, that we've always had, but we could never get a good idea of what the customer actually felt about that transaction. Now we can get an automated form of customer sentiment on a phone call, on a live chat interaction, on a self-service portal navigation, we, we can take that experience, we can look at it very clearly and tra- transparently and be able to see, did the, did the customer feel great about this experience or was there friction there that resulted in them not being able to achieve their objective? So we can see more, we can measure better the work of CX than we ever could before because of what AI has brought in these past couple of years. But also just even the customer interaction itself and going from what used to, we just called a knowledge base <laughs> to now we yeah. have these incredibly robust and interactive knowledge components where uh, knowledge is being queued up and delivered in ways that we could have never dreamed of. It, it's amazing how much that frees up the organization to be more proactive, be more strategic, and not just have to have an entire team of people queuing up that knowledge anymore.
0: Well, exactly, and it allows actual humans to kind of step in at the appropriate juncture when they're genuinely
1: needed by the customer. Exactly. I mean, we can, we can dream. We can, we can talk through something exciting and creative with that customer and instead of just answering a basic remedial question.
0: I loved Nate's idea of CX evolving with automation, freeing agents up to dream with their customers. Another person with a similarly big vision for the future is Gainsight CEO Nick Meta. Late last year, he chatted with Intercom's Global Director of Customer Support, Caitlin Patterson to share his equation for CX success.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, it starts out with the fact that customer success is very buzzy and it's also pretty ambiguous um, if you think about the term. I mean, gosh, customer success, like what doesn't fit into that, right? That's, and also, <laughs> who's against customer success for customer failure, right? So it starts, like all buzzwords, with an extremely lofty title, kind of like big data and things like that, right? So then the question is, how do you make it more tangible for people? And what we learned was that when we said customer success early on, what a lot of people immediately thought was, oh, yeah, great, customer support, or, oh, yeah, great customer satisfaction or, oh yeah, great, customer happiness, customer delight, you know, things like that. And that was great. We, we love that as a starting point. But what we tried to educate people on is in the B2B world, so if you're selling to other businesses, businesses don't buy stuff, whether it's products or technology or whatever, just to be happy, right? You and I might you know decide to sign up for a yoga class or go work, do a workout or, you know, buy, uh, in my case, buy many, 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 too many pairs of shoes just to be happy, <laughs> right? So in the consumer world, experience is everything. But in the B2B world, it's not just about the experience. It's also about what's the value this f- vendor is driving for me. What's the economic value? What's the ROI? And what, uh, the term people often use is outcome. What's the outcome this vendor is driving? Are they helping my company grow faster? Are they helping me save money? Are they helping me make my employees happier? And so we argue customer success isn't just about the experience, isn't just about the happiness, it's about the actual outcome. And so it's about getting your customers to the outcomes they're looking for, you know, what did you promise them in the sales process with a great experience. So those two things together. And by the way, we published this equation uh, years ago. And I, you know, actually literally a, a few weeks in, somebody said, shouldn't that be like CX times C-O? (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, you're right. And we we printed all these posters that said CS plus C. So it actually, if I could have done it again, it would have been CX times CO because they definitely like multiplied each other, right? You, you have a great experience that makes the outcome feel even better, right? But if you get a zero in either, the total thing is a zero, right? So you have a vendor that you work with that you love them and they're so great, but gosh, like they're not driving any value for you. That's a zero. You have a vendor that you work with that, they're, they're like really plugged into everything you do. You like can't get rid of them, but gosh, they're such a pain. That's a zero two, And so in theory, it should probably be the times, but, uh, you know, for the sake of not reprinting everything, we'll go with plus.
3: <laughs> yes. The the planet thanks you, but, uh, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So I'd love to break this down and go a level deeper on each of those components. So maybe we can start with experience. And I think, you know, a lot of this is intuitive, as you said, right? Like who doesn't want to make their customers successful and who doesn't want to offer a great experience? And I think another kind of buzzy phrase when we think about this space is, you know, proactive versus reactive. So within this equation, and totally. when you're thinking about experience, can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of proactive versus reactive? And like, maybe what the heck that actually means and, and what it looks like at its best?
2: Yeah, totally. You know, it's, it's it, it, so proactive reactive is a buzzword. It's, it's pretty simplistically, you know, who's thinking about the next step and taking the next step? Is it the customer? or as the vendor, right? And you think about the old world of all products, right? You In the old world, whether you, as a consumer, you buy a, a car, right? You As a business person, you buy some software that you set up on your servers. In either of those situations, in the old world, it was up to you whether you got value, right? It was up mm-hmm. to you whether you really used that car or not, whether you installed that software. And, you know, when you had an issue, you called the company, the 800 number or whatever, and get some support, right? And so then the, for the from the vendor's vantage point, They were, the job was to be really good at being reactive, like to be like, pick up the phone quickly and answer your question really nicely and get you the help you need. But the first step of like, okay, what do I need to do next? That was on the customer. But what happened is in the changes in business model, as we went to businesses where it was on demand, in the cloud, pay as you go, SaaS, what that meant was if the customer isn't getting the value it's the vendor who suffers, right? Because the customer doesn't stay with you, doesn't use you again, doesn't pay you going forward, right? And so therefore the vendor had to be the one thinking of a customer every day. Say, gosh, like I've noticed they haven't actually set up the software. We better get them to set it up or they're not going to stay with us. Or I noticed they're not using these new features. We better get them to use those features or they're not going to stay with us. So by shifting the economic power from the vendor to the customer, you shifted the responsibility for the journey of the customer from the, the customer to the vendor. Right, and that's what what really changed that's what proactive is about it's not just being proactive for proactive sake it's proactive or, or you're not going to get to keep that customer
0: It's interesting to hear Nick's perspective on proactive support another person who believes that teams should look beyond the buzzword on this front is Zapier's Pam Doddrell. back in July of last year she chatted to Courtney Chang about the importance of applying altruism to proactive support
4: The other things we're doing is um, implementing some software that's going to give us early warning signals for our customers about, you know, if there's more usage or if they're adding people or if they're adding more zaps and then really figuring out what are the touch points from not just those early warning signals, but using them to become proactive in a nature to find out at what point, let's say, let's take the first 90 days of onboarding as an example, because it's where we'll focus first. There's a lot to learn as you're adopting a new solution during that timeframe. So how do we interact with our customers and ask that question? What are the goals? What are you trying to achieve? And based on getting that input from them, making recommendations to them. There's an approach I take to this that's philosophical that I've shared with the team. And I want to think about altruistic, proactive outreach. So for the 10 times I may interact with a customer throughout a year, regardless of the channel. Nine of those 10 times, I should be sharing with them information that I think is important to them and will help them, whether it's product-based, a use case, a new feature, whatever it might be. And that 10th time might be the renewal. But if you really get into understanding your customers' perspectives and what they're trying to achieve, then renewal should not be a huge milestone in the conversation.
3: That's fascinating to me to hear about the way that you're talking about proactive support. And the way that you're really thinking about support as going beyond just the reaction to specific queries and something that we at intercom are also really looking to implement. is this the same team? like is this are you using the same teams and the same processes to implement this proactive approach as you are also the reactive queries that are coming in from customers?
4: No, not right now, and I'll be honest with you, that's one of the places where I have a little bit of a bee in my bonnet with the industry is when I think about what we're doing with customer support and customer success, we're often taking customer support roles and calling them customer success without really changing anything that makes them more proactive. Maybe um, you could have uh, monitoring on your customer's instance and understand that they're having trouble on the instance, that there's a technical issue in reaching out to them. That's a proactive motion that you could introduce to customer support. And on the customer success side of things, I'm finding in the industry that we're taking what had historically been like a technical account manager, someone that was embedded with a company to find other pockets to sell perpetual license to, and we're calling a role like that a customer success manager. We're not really changing what those roles do enough to meet this, what I'm calling a new perspective in the subscription model about customers actually being successful. We're just taking the typical roles and motions that we've had before and putting different labels on them.
5: Gotcha. I think that makes a ton
3: of sense that you really want to stay true to what the original core mission of the team is and not simply to add a title that sounds better or like it would drive customer outcomes without actually then doing that work. Could you tell us a little bit about your five points of employee motivation?
4: Yeah, the, the the first one that was attractive when I was starting here, too, was all-hand support. Knowing that every person in the company, in one way or another, spends a couple hours every week interacting with our customers, whether it's in our queue, writing along on chats that we're having, or sitting in on phone calls we're having with customers, that's hugely motivating for a team, because... For support team, because it means the entire company just understands what the support team's work looks like, and it helps them make decisions that are best for customers and for the support team. And it's a different perspective that not a lot of companies have if they're not doing something like all hands support. Employee pow- empowerment is another big piece of it, making sure that they feel like they can make the calls when they need to in real time, and that they don't—they're not micromanaged or have to escalate something all the time. Transparency and collaborative decision-making has been a huge win for this team. And then in addition to that, really focus heavily on diversity and inclusion, which is always to the betterment of an organization. And then also having a strong online connection as a remote team are the five points. You know, if I think about teams that need to adjust to this model, I always recommend empowering the team first. Put a couple of guidelines in and that that are gonna be really important with the understanding that that team is now empowered and they're gonna make calls you as a leader don't agree with, that's gonna happen. But when that happens, you can have a dialogue about it. You can get their perspective, you can share your perspective and based on the outcome of that, use it as guidance going forward. And in that process, you're always gonna to have to stay open to adjusting to that guidance and always be, listening to, be willing to listen to the team and or to the management team and, and flex and change where needed.
0: 2020 was a challenging year for support teams, as people adapted to unforeseen volumes of customer queries, uncharted territory in terms of planning, and of course, the global shift to remote working practices. In the midst of all this, we were lucky enough to host a roundtable with Caitlin and some of her team members, Bobby Stapleton, Senior Manager of Customer Support based in our Chicago office, and Ruth O'Brien, Senior Manager of Customer Support based in our Dublin office. Here, they're echoing Pam's point from earlier about the importance of empowerment within a team.
3: The first is a a saying and motto I stole from an old boss and mentor, which is to care deeply and assume strength. So the first portion there, care deeply, Hopefully, you know, we certainly do, but hopefully, you know, support leaders out there, they know their support teams, uh, they know who these people are, they care about their well-being and they connect with them, whether that's, you know, directly or indirectly uh, through communications, you know, in, in a way that really demonstrates that deep, deep care I mentioned earlier. But if someone's got an escalation or question for me, you know, I probably don't nail it every single time, but I'm trying to take that additional minute or two to, hey, how's your family doing? Or I know you were facing this personal circumstance, how's that going? You know, so care deeply and um, mean it, and then assume strength. You know, support teams um, are hired and built to get in there and help customers. Bobby talks so often about how, at their core, support teams should be selfless. So, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. It's important that we're giving teams the resources, the time, and space, the breaks, the bit of fun and laughter, the the dog threads and slack that they need to to stay sane, but to assume that these, you know, teams are strong to set great expectations with them and to, you know, empower them to go do what they do best, which is helping customers. Right. And, uh, you know, again, it's about doing your best. It's not about, you know, pushing people to the limit. We want our team to stay healthy and sane, you know, always, but now more than ever. But yeah, so I guess, you know, care deeply and assume strength really comes to mind for me. And then lastly, like take your opportunity to find connection where you can get it for yourself and for your teams. We last week were rolling out, you know, the 10th change in what is now a 20 change process. And I was about to write my team another novel length email Mm -hmm. that would hit their inboxes and make their eyes hurt. And I said, you know, what, screw it. Let's just get on a call. And so we did an all hands with all 80 plus of everyone. Well, you know, Sydney was asleep, but we recorded it for them. And I had no slides and I just talked to the team because I miss seeing their faces. And I didn't want to write them another lengthy email. Now, you know, full honesty for any of them that are listening, I'm still writing long emails. (laughs) It's still happening. But, you know, jump on a call and connect and, you know, take those opportunities when and how you can. I think that that's important too. So that's it from me. But, you know, would love to pass it over to maybe Ruth and then Bobby, if they've got anything to share that I've missed because I certainly couldn't do it without them.
0: Yeah, Ruth, let's go to you first. How long are Caitlin's emails really?
5: (laughs) She's on this call. So I don't know what I should say. <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes long, sometimes not so long. So uh, there's a good balance there, I would say. Just with regards to, you know, making sure that the, the teams are being brought together. Uh, I mean, Caitlin nailed it there, you know, and Bobby, uh, as he's regularly quoted saying that we should be selfless and support people because our jobs are to to help others. Something else that I think is really important that we've heard from some of our senior leaders, Des, who I'm sure uh, has been on this podcast before and people will recognize the name, is that, yeah, we're not expecting perfection during these times. But how you, I'm going to misquote him now, but it's like how you behave in the hard times is like what really defines you. So it is okay, of course, it's okay if people are like feeling bad and they're having bad days here and there. Um, But to be able to look back as part of a customer support team that dealt with a lot, like huge incoming volumes, some really tough situations. And you know that you actually made a difference in human beings and companies' lives longer term. Like looking back on that and being like, that's how I acted during this tough time. Like that's something that you can be really, really proud of. And I hope that support teams around the world are feeling that way at the moment.
0: That's a lovely, lovely thought, Ruth. Bobby, any thoughts?
6: Yeah, I think um, two thoughts. The first, a bit more tactical. You know, we are in this, we're in this for the long haul here and everything with this pandemic is, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a marathon. And so one thing I would recommend is just like change fatigue is, is a real thing. And as a leadership team, it's important to try to like minimize that change where you can and try to maintain some sense of normalcy. Like what we're going through right now is not normal. And so if you can, look at like your normal workflows. And if you're able to keep those normal, or if you are normally have a weekly one-on-one with your manager, you know, keep that at the same time. Now's maybe not the time to like mix that up and change the day or change the cadence. Um, You know, our teams are going through probably a lot of change fatigue just with the amount of information we're throwing out at them and how quickly um, this pandemic is changing. So, you know, maintain normalcy, try to minimize the unexpected, giving your team the bandwidth and um, the fuel to deal with the stuff that, that you can't control or that has to change. My second thought, you know, is that leadership is tough stuff. And, you know, you have the weight of your team on on your shoulders, not just their professional well-being, but oftentimes, you know, their personal well-beings. And while that's a hefty responsibility, it's also a really empowering moment to be able to set the tone for your team. When I think about times of hardship and times of crises, you know, you as the leader, you can create a place of comfort. So you can create a place of positivity, a place of purpose that might be the only space your team is
0: getting those things. How to support the support team was a common thread in many of our conversations with support leaders last year. Let's hear from Clearbit's Luke Diaz about how automation played a key role in this for their team.
7: This has been a fundamental shift in how people work. And it's both professionally challenging and it's, on a personal level, also very challenging. And so automations played a key role because the COVID-19 pandemic has really created two constraints. One is about focus. When economic headwinds exist, you have to really, really focus on your customer and, and double down there. And then the second constraint is efficiency. You have to do more with less there's less budget there's less resources so there's both a focus and a efficiency constraint automation helped us with the latter which is doing more with less specifically what that means is we have a certain segment of customer which tends to do okay with clearbit but they don't realize as much value as other segments and so we leveraged automation to instead of having a csm own The relationship directly, we started to supplement and then eventually replace the communications with full automation. This even includes being able to quote, docu sign, and close a renewal opportunity, all without human involvement. So you can imagine the efficiency gains there. Of course, we have escalation paths when that doesn't work, but so far, so good. And uh, automation has really been our key. To driving efficiencies in uh, more scarce resourcing times.
0: That's amazing. And we'll talk a little bit more about the importance of efficiency to a business later on. But let's chat a bit now about the kind of symbiotic relationship that exists, I think, between data and automation. I mean, you really can't have one without the other. So your business, Clearbit, is so, so important to that intersection.
7: Yeah, it's been interesting. They, I think symbiotic is the perfect word. On the flip side, bad data can drive bad automation, and excellent data can provide very thoughtful, very effective automation. And so, I absolutely agree with the premise that they are symbiotic. Clearbit is essentially a data provider, so we stake our our ground on the quality of the data we provide into other systems, and then we eat our own cooking. We use Clearbit data to drive our business, whether that's attracting new leads, whether that's taking care of prospects, and then eventually as customers to uh, serve them using clean, relevant data for them.
0: And then thinking a little bit more about that intersection, where do you see content fitting in? Because that's very much part of the relationship as
7: well. Yeah, uh, I'm very grateful to have a, a content team at Clearbit who produces Very fun, much like the content at Intercom where it's fun, it's engaging, it's diverse media, whether it's a podcast or a a fun blog post or a video. And so we do work closely with the content team to ensure that one, that message is getting out there and the customer success team can help give a further amplified voice to the great content that's being produced. And we also have been doing quite a bit of content creation ourselves on the customer success team. So we've been recording a lot of help videos, filling in the gaps to create lightweight, bite-sized content so that as a Clearbit customer, you can learn about enrichment or reveal or whatever product simply by watching a three to five minute video and help us create resources that drive that automation.
0: And you'd mentioned to me previously that in a certain sense, you've over-indexed on content on your back end because at the end of the day, anyone can set up an automated email flow. But if that content isn't tailored, you're not going to get that important engagement.
7: Precisely. I think the content and the structure of that content, whether it's the blog post about a particular use case or a particular industry, we've seen a lot of interesting data on our end about what resonates with whom and so in this ambiguous word personalization which I'm not quite sure anyone can define precisely but showing the right thing to the right person at the right time is kind of the holy grail of marketing and service and so if you have lots of unstructured content it's hard to get it in a position where it's getting to the right person at the right time so you have to have the latent data attributes the 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 size of the company the industry Even the functional breakdown of your customer is very important because a head of marketing ops might not have the same interests as the head of sales. And so yeah, respecting each person's individual interests have been challenging. And um, I'm hoping to spend more time on that versus the pure content creation.
0: We're certainly fans of the right message, right time approach here in Intercom. And certainly that level of personalization brings a fundamental shift in how we are communicating with our customers. That's all part and parcel of a bigger shift towards the conversational. Back in August, our VP of Marketing, Shane Murphy Reuter, chatted to HubSpot CEO and co-founder Brian Halligan about this very important evolution.
8: The internet itself, the story, the business story of the internet, is about making things more convenient, about cutting out the middlemen and building big businesses directly, I think.
9: Yeah, that's, that, that's fascinating. And bringing it kind of closer to you know, the products like Intercom and HubSpot, one of those areas of evolution has been the way that people communicate if we think back, you know, email was actually invented back in 1971, and you know, I'd argue that there's been relatively little innovation since then. You know, there are companies, obviously, like Superhuman, who are trying to innovate around email, but the core product itself hasn't changed that much. Having said that, in our daily lives, the way that people communicate has changed quite a lot. Can you talk a little bit about how HubSpot as a company? has evolved to meet that change in ways the customers are, are communicating specifically.
8: Yeah, one of the things that we've root, always rooted HubSpot in, and this is some people think is really smart and some people think is really dumb, is particularly in the early days of HubSpot, we would talk to marketers and marketers would want to more efficiently spam their customers and more efficiently cold call their customers and more efficiently try to interrupt them at a trade show. And what we were saying is, no, there's a revolution that needs to happen. Your buyers are changing. They're using Google now. You need to get found in Google. They live in social media now. They're ignoring all of this stuff. You need to transform. And we pushed our customers to transform to match the way their customers were changing. And we've always kind of rooted HubSpot in that. And as we've evolved over time, we've evolved quite a bit. We try to rear ourselves in that. And I think Intercom's done a nice job of that too. I think one of the things you guys recognized early, and we're, we're kind of a fast follower of yours in this world, humans have really changed the way they can want to communicate, people don't want to email anymore, people live in Slack, they live in SMS, they live in messenger, people just, you know, email is, it's on a very slow death mark, very slow, it's still a very useful tool when people use it, but the, the modern worker doesn't enjoy that medium, and doesn't want to communicate that way. I think one of the things Intercom did, and now HubSpot's doing a little bit as well, is harnessing that. The thing about email is it's asynchronous. And I think that the story of customer experience these days is synchronous. Everyone wants real-time, self-serve, 24-7. And I think companies that are stuck sort of in 2010 mindset, where humans are involved in every transaction, where it's email-based, where it's 9 to 5, where it's not self-serve, Moving to this modern experience where people have been spoiled by consumer brands in the B2B side, I think people are going to want to do chat. And by the way, it's not that they just want to do chat. Like we have chat enabled in our app, chat enabled in our, in our website. It is definitely the way people want to communicate. They're at, the very, at this very moment, I'm sure there are a thousand chats going on on our website and on our app. And it is just the way it happens today.
9: I think that's that's exactly right. Well, obviously Intercom, you know, we 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 believe this all the way down into our product and we kind of call this conversational experiences. Yep. There are the term conversational marketing obviously has become synonymous with using a messenger to talk to the leads on your website, but like to your point our our belief certainly is that these experiences will go far beyond just talking to leads on your website whether it's be supporting existing customers or even engaging Existing customers that you're trying to help onboard and showing them around your product and that sort of thing. And I think one of the big things that we're seeing is that it, it, it's certainly the asynchronous versus synchronous piece. Yep. But there's also the in context. You know, email is yep. not in your app, right? Whereas a messenger is sitting in the app and has that context. And it's obviously, yes, real real time as well. But because it's in the app, it's really powerful. I I often use the story of email. It's kind of like you go into a store and you ask the sales representative, you know, do you have this in a size medium? And they said, yeah, I've sent a letter to your home. Check it out. You know, (laughs) come back. Um, Rather than actually a messenger being able to like there and then answer the problem, you know. So I think the expansion of this beyond conversational marketing is really interesting to us
8: could not agree more. I think that end-to-end experience needs to be super modern, super streamlined. And I think if people come to your website or using your products or want to support with you and you don't have chat, you're at a disadvantage today. Is that just the way people want to talk?
9: Bringing on to sort of 2020 and the crazy world that we're we're living in today, at Inbound 19, you mentioned, um, you talked a little bit about this idea of the species of disruptor and argued that big market disruptors of the past leveraged technology to rewrite the rules of business. How do you think 2020 and the the COVID environment that we're sitting in is either solidifying this or, or accelerating those types of uh, disruptions?
8: I think it's just pulled the future in for businesses like HubSpot and Intercom. Most companies knew they needed to transform and move to from outside sales to inside sales, from offline marketing to online marketing, from outbound marketing to inbound marketing, like companies knew they had to do it, but they were procrastinating. People are just moving that up and moving faster today. And I think there's been so much bad about all that's happened in 2020, but I think this is a good thing for businesses to really modernize this motion and really match the way they go to market with the way people buy. And so I think it's just pulled it up.
0: We hope you enjoyed this compilation episode featuring some of our favorite support guests of the last 12 months. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people like you find our content. We'll be back next week with another great episode for you. We hope you'll join us.
7: This is Inside Intercom.